1: In London, this is The Economist, and this is the pick of our week. I'm Kenneth Cukier, the data editor, and in this episode, we'll hear about sex in the boardroom, spying on spies, and the benefits of strong social bonds. But first, our cover line this week was losing the Middle East. We offered several ideas on how America can play a constructive role.
0: The Middle Eastern order sustained by the United States has collapsed. Civil wars are devouring Syria, Iraq, and Libya. Black-robed jihadists from Islamic State, or IS, have carved out a caliphate. Peace may not return to the Middle East for a generation. What's the conclusion drawn from all this? For most Americans, including the man in the White House, the lesson is that outsiders cannot impose order on chaos.
1: Wrong, argues the leader. What the world needs is a new, invigorated engagement.
0: Today's chaos is trashing human rights and torching values that many, including this newspaper, look to America to defend. History has shown that the tentacles of turmoil stretch across borders. Terrorism in places like Libya or Syria sooner or later ends up striking at the West. Minimizing the threat means doing more in places where jihadism flourishes. Rather than putting the Middle East back together like some sort of demented Humpty Dumpty, The Economist urges that America follow, quote-unquote, constructive containment. The first requirement is better diplomacy. More political engagement is needed. Though America must accept that relations with Arab countries will be pragmatic. Fighting alongside Iran in Iraq and opposing it in Syria is a contradiction. Get used to it. The region has not stopped shifting in unreconcilable ways. The central message is that America must not retreat. If it continues to stand back, everyone will be worse off, including Americans. Elsewhere, America is bolstering
1: its image as the world's public prosecutor. It is spearheading a global investigation into the football association FIFA. As the scandal rolls into the courts, an article in our international section asks why it is America, not another country, which is handing out red cards to the officials.
2: America's crimebusters claim the right to go after anyone who uses its banking system or plans an illegal scheme on its soil. Some of the accused FIFA officials and marketing executives allegedly discussed or engaged in palm greasing while in America.
1: So American prosecutors aren't just hardworking, they're creative as well.
2: The Department of Justice has not charged anybody at FIFA with bribery. Federal bribery laws cover only payments to government officials. Prosecutors have instead alleged racketeering, wire fraud and money laundering conspiracies. And the prosecutors are not stopping there. Odder still, officials have been charged with violations of the Travel Act, which says that it is illegal to engage in interstate or foreign travel or use any facility in interstate commerce to carry out an illegal activity.
1: America, in its zeal to extend its law... Is in danger of overreaching.
2: In April, an American court dismissed charges against two Ukrainians in a case in which the only American link was the tangential involvement of a federal agency. The judge slammed the case as a deeply misguided attempt to turn America into the world's policeman. Welcome though their assault on corruption in football is, America's crime busters cannot hit every ball out of the park.
1: Slapping the hand of bribery is an action usually applauded around the world, but not by China's civil servants, as an article in our China section explains.
3: This month, officials are to get their first pay rises in nearly a decade. Even so, many are heading for the
1: door. Sounds counterintuitive.
3: The reason is President Xi Jinping's campaign against corruption, the most intense and sustained in the party's history. This is a malaise for the mandarins. It has made it harder to trouser the bribes that have traditionally supplemented those meagre official salaries. Many civil servants now fear a knock on the door by agents of the party's anti-corruption department. And in case they haven't got the message... Many officials are being taken with their spouses to learn a lesson
1: by visiting their former colleagues in prison. Thus fear and perhaps disappointment for China's civil servants. Over in Germany, anger is the emotion of the day. As an article in our European section explains... The amnosity is directed towards American spies and a document which has become known as The List.
3: This list has become a potential time bomb, both for Germany's ruling coalition and for the transatlantic relationship. It refers to the documentation of millions of selectors, search terms for phone numbers, email addresses and so on that America's national security agency has over the years fed into the computers of its German equivalent, the BND. As is often the case in espionage, there was some surreptitious back-scratching. The Germans monitored these and passed the intelligence back to America. Under a 2002 deal, the selectors may not point to German citizens, European firms or European Union governments. But for years, the BND failed to check the selectors, And when did the magnifying glass appear to reveal this? Only after revelations of American mass surveillance by Edward Snowden in 2013. The BND then rejected thousands of search terms as impermissible.
1: There have been loud calls in Germany for the list to be made public, though American spies are keeping it, well,
3: clandestine. The Americans want the list to stay secret fearing it could compromise their intelligence and the security of allies, including
1: Germany. Sex in the boardroom was the theme taken up by our business columnist Schumpeter this week, or for those with a little too much imagination, gender in the boardroom. Writing in our business section, Schumpeter mused over the question of management and whether women were different or in fact better than their male
0: counterparts some ask whether the financial crisis would have been as bad had lehman brothers been lehman sisters given research suggesting a link between testosterone levels and risk-taking those who
1: support this thinking lean on two
0: arguments the first is that women are better at androgynous management That is, combining supposedly male and female characteristics into a powerful mixture. And the other argument is that... Women differ from men not so much in their leadership styles as in the values that they bring to the job. They are much more influenced by compassion and fairness than men.
1: Yet there are some qualifications, of course.
0: The first is that lumping women bosses together obscures the huge differences between them. Much as would be said about men.
1: And let us not forget that adaptation was a trade given to
0: both sexes. Both male and female managers are perfectly capable of adapting their leadership styles to meet changing circumstances.
1: But as in any argument, what better way to solve it than looking at what the data say?
0: The third and main problem with the argument that women do a better job in running a company is the lack of solid evidence that putting more women into senior jobs improves a business's performance. Our columnist put the question to bed. The only enlightened policy for selecting leaders is to judge people purely on their individual merits. Anything else is just prejudice in disguise. Considering people's well-being was the subject of an
1: article in our finance section. But this time, it's not just about income.
3: I like money and nice things, but it's not money that makes me happy. It's people, says one woman in a World Bank survey. She's not alone. Research has found that social integration is more important for well-being than income and also decreases poverty. It is friends, not cash, that seem to get people through hard times. Having strong social bonds eases financial deprivation. Friends and relatives can lend money, pool risk, mind children, and bring news of job openings. However, there is a catch. Not having the right friends can cement hardship. The more concentrated the poverty, the less helpful social networks tend to be. It is doubly unfortunate, then, that poor people are often socially excluded precisely
1: because they are poor. Thankfully, countries are beginning to address the calamity of loneliness.
3: Several countries have experimented with schemes that connect lonely old people and deprived youth. Germany, for instance, has built multi-generational community centres – where older visitors get computer coaching from teenagers.
1: A different sort of loneliness was explored in a memoir in our Books and Arts section. An African migrant returns home after a long absence, only to find himself an unsettled stranger in foreign lands.
2: Now living in America and France, Alain Mabanku, a Congolese novelist, visits his hometown on Africa's equatorial Atlantic coast for the first time in 23 years. The author describes the pains of leaving. Here are the remembered aspirations of parents who bless their children's departure, yet regret it nonetheless, and the migrant sense of guilt for having left behind the less fortunate, of parents ageing alone and dying lonely.
1: And he documents the pains of return.
2: Here also are the suffocating embraces of relatives lacking Mr. Mabanku's salon sensibilities.
1: And he documents the darker side of returning as a more prosperous person.
2: He struggles with the expectations of the greedy and resentful who want him to share his wealth. In a disturbing yet hilarious episode, he is asked to give up his shoes, shirt and trousers in a bar by two family members.
1: These experiences are set to a question perpetually in the back of his mind.
2: Why did he come? He feels like a criminal returning to the place of the crime to reassure himself that he made no mistakes. He asks what really brings people together – blood, or shared life experience.
1: Our obituary this week paid tribute to a person who contributed more to childbirth than most, Elizabeth Bing, the pioneer of prepared
0: childbirth. Birth is an unpredictable affair. One moment you are contentedly showering your enormous overstretched self or lying on a hard hospital bed with nothing much to do. The next, all hell is breaking loose, The midwife screaming, rubber gloves flying, monitors beeping, partner fled to the loo, and the Mozart tape you brought to usher the new soul into the world completely beside the point. Elizabeth Bing believed that it did not need to be this way. Birth would often be surprising, but the prospective mother could also stay in charge, awake, alert, undrugged, and even to some degree enjoying herself the beauty of the moment might be remembered. A young woman instructed by Mrs. Bing would arrive at the labour ward perky, decisive and carrying a bag equipped with talc, sandwiches for starving partner, stopwatch to time contractions, tennis balls to ease back pain, and a bottle of champagne, which the nurse should be asked to put on ice when you arrive.
1: Childbirth with bubbles. As fun delivering them as making them. I'm Kenneth Couquier, and that was our Pick of the Week. In London, this is The Economist.